is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, one more time. He is risen. All right, great. Hallelujah. Thank you. So let's turn your Bibles to Matthew 28. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. This is the account of the resurrection morning. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples and behold Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him then Jesus said to them do not be afraid go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me this is God's word let's pray father thank you for giving us this historical account of what happened that Easter morning. Although there was darkness when Mary went to the tomb, although there was sadness on the way there, thank you, Jesus, that you were not dead, that you did not remain dead, that you had risen. Thank you that you give peace, that you give hope, that you give great joy in your resurrection. Thank you that we can have resurrection certainty. And thank you that you give us purpose in life. God, I pray for each and everyone here that we would have a fresh perspective on your resurrection this morning, that you would fill us with fresh peace and certainty and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, joy, it's said, is one of the most evident marks of a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you might be thinking, well, does that really, does that really embody who I am? And I think it's, it's, we need to ask ourselves that question. Do I really have joy? Do I exhibit joy? Not a put on joy, but a real deep down, secure, sure, certain joy. Do, do I have that kind of joy? If you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I'd ask you, do you have true joy? If not, you can know true joy through Jesus. So often in life, we miss out on the joy that God has provided for us. And and, and really, if you look at this resurrection account, what's the result? The end of this resurrection account is they had great joy, and then they went out and they told everybody about it. Do you have joy? 
Do you have joy? This passage is full of joy. The women are full of joy. They went to a place of death and they left with joy because death was no longer. The resurrection of Jesus, it brings us joy because it brings us peace and certainty and purpose. And there's three things that we're going to see that Mary experienced that we can experience as well from this passage. And and why we can have joy is because God, he brings us peace. He brings us certainty and he brings us purpose as well. We're going to see that in the first few verses that we have peace. And I would add despite the darkness. We would have peace despite the darkness. Mary and Mary, the other Mary, whoever that was, that probably was Jesus' aunt, we're not exactly sure, but Mary Magdalene, we know who she was. And she and the other Mary are going to the tomb in darkness. It's not yet dawn. Dawn has is, is just begun. It says, towards the dawn of the first day. In, in another gospel account, it says, before it was even light yet. And, and there's this scene of Mary. She is eager and she is waiting for the dawn to come. She is, she is waiting, but right now she's in darkness. She waited long enough. They stayed away from Friday night after they followed Jesus, his body. They followed him to the cross. They watched him be crucified. They followed his body to the tomb. They watched him be put in the tomb and the stone be rolled there. And, and Luke gives this account how the women are sitting up and they're watching this transpire, and you can just feel their sadness. You can feel the darkness descend on their soul as they see all their hopes, all their dreams, they thought, get buried. And now they're coming in the darkness. And, and I think that's not just a literal picture. I think we're, we're meant to get the idea that Mary is in a dark place as well. She's sad. She's mourning. The other accounts say that she's weeping. She's very sad. She comes with spices from Luke and John and Mark. We see that she comes with spices to anoint the body. She's not expecting a risen Lord. She's not expecting Jesus to be alive again. She's expecting death. And she wants to do the small dignity of providing spices because she believes the body by now has begun to stink. And she didn't want the body of Jesus to smell. And so she brings spices to anoint it. It was a dark place for her. We know a little bit about Mary Magdalene from chapter 8 of Luke. Mary had been delivered by Jesus. She had seven demons. Now, I don't know personally what that's like, but I can only imagine the darkness that she was living in. I can imagine the oppression, the sadness, the, the torment, the anxiety that that would represent. Someone's demon-possessed, there's all kinds of different manifestations from confusion to fear to odd behavior. Some people cut themselves. Others resort to gross, sinful behavior. That's why some people assume that in Luke 7, the chapter right before we were introduced to Mary Magdalene, there's, there's this woman who's not named, and she seems to be most likely a prostitute. And she comes, and she anoints Jesus' feet in repentance and wipes his feet with her hair. It could have been Mary Magdalene. We're not, we're not sure, but what is clear is that Mary had known darkness once. She had been controlled by darkness, and Jesus had set her free, and now here she is on Sunday morning, and it's another dark day. She's sad. She's weeping. She's coming to a place of death. Maybe, maybe you can identify with Mary. Maybe you feel like your life is full of darkness. Maybe there's, there's a place of sadness for you, like you're walking in darkness. And maybe that's true for you. 
But what can also be true for you is what, what was true for Mary is that Jesus set her free. And she's about to experience that, that freedom that the light of Jesus brings again. She had been changed. She had been a follower of Jesus. She never left him, actually. She didn't leave him, even though all the disciples fled. There's a scene when Jesus is taken away. And the women, though, follow at a distance. All the guys, they flee. The women follow a distance. And Mary was one of those women. She's there with him at the cross. She's there watching him be sacrificed. She there all the way to the tomb. She's the first one to arrive again. She is a faithful follower, but she didn't anticipate the resurrection. She watched the sky go dark as he died. She watched for three hours as things went dark. And then, as Jesus said, it is finished. There was, there was an earthquake that happened. There's a finality to it. The rocks were split. The tombs came open. And now she was weeping in the darkness. But things suddenly changed for her. There's a dramatic reversal here. Things suddenly change in verse 2. Look down your Bibles if you have a Bible with you. It says, The earth quaked, and an angel of the Lord descended. It came down from heaven, came and rolled back the stone, and then kind of perched up on it. What a dramatic picture that is. She's walking up to the tomb from a distance, likely, and she, all of a sudden, this angel of the Lord comes down. The earth shakes. The stone gets rolled away. And then at the same time, she sees these strong, bold Fierce warriors, probably the best of the best to protect the tomb, and they all fall down like dead. Ironically, Mary, she doesn't. The woman is strong, even though she is weeping. And this angel who appears, this blindingly bright, glowing light, he's the image of purity, his, his clothes are so white that they, they shone like snow when the sun reflects off it. And the angel spoke to them and he, and he gave them some words. He said, don't be afraid. He spoke peace. The resurrection of Jesus brings peace. It casts out fear. We don't have to fear that that we're rejected. We don't have to fear that we can't draw near. We don't have to fear that Jesus is really dead, that our hopes are gone. The resurrection of Jesus brings peace. But she'd forgotten what Jesus had said, or at least she had been afraid it wasn't true. She was weeping after all. How about you? Maybe you're here today and you, you don't know peace and you're, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You need to hear the words. Don't be afraid. Jesus is really alive. You can know peace. You've been accepted. If you're an unbeliever, you can know peace as well by coming, repenting, confessing your sins to God and saying, God, I need you. I need the peace that only you can give. Sometimes we forget the promises of Jesus. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we fear that what Jesus said isn't really true. They were probably afraid that all the promises of Jesus, were they really true? I mean, I'm sure they were very afraid of the angel as well, but I bet part of why he said, don't be afraid, is they were wondering, could it, could it really be true? And now all of a sudden, Mary's fears were gone. The time of mourning had vanished. The joy of a new day had dawned. And they couldn't have been more marvelous or sweeter news to her ears to hear that he is risen just as he said. 
What did that mean for her? That meant peace. Why did that mean peace? Because Jesus wasn't among the dead anymore, and then everything that he said was true. If you're familiar with any of the words of Jesus, you need to receive that peace that comes from knowing that everything that Jesus said is true because he's resurrected and he's proven it. They must have wondered beforehand, had everything Jesus told them been a lie? You know, they, they, they came, darkness had fallen on the land. She must have experienced depression, despair. She must have wondered, was he really the bread of life? Did, did, did the Messiah, was he really the Messiah? Did the Messiah really die? Was he really the resurrection and the life like he said? But as soon as the angel said, he is not here, for he's risen as he said. As soon as he said that, I can imagine Mary, who followed Jesus all along, I can imagine that she heard the words of Jesus again from, from the past when Jesus spoke to them from John 8, and he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I can imagine Mary saying, yes, that's true. I doubt it, but no longer Death couldn't hold Jesus. You see, death is the penalty for sin, but because the penalty for sin had been fully paid, death could not hold him any longer, and now he is risen. They weren't walking in darkness anymore. Boy, I can imagine how that news must have struck her. She, she had spent all Friday night, all Saturday, and, and probably in torment and mourning and darkness and despair. And, and now when she gets this news, all of a sudden there's joy because she has the peace of knowing that he's risen. He's alive. He's been resurrected. We have peace and hope in the midst of darkness and fear. It's, it's meant to have that effect on you as well. Have that effect on you as well this morning as you're wondering and worrying about things that because Jesus is alive you can know his peace that can't be shaken no matter what happens in your life and then the next words the angel gave her gave her joy because she could have certainty I love that he didn't just say hey believe me and that was it it wasn't just hey believe me Jesus is risen okay He gave certainty. So those words were meant for us as well. We can have certainty. We can have real certainty. The the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, it's not based on a myth. It's based on what we can see. It's based on reliable historical facts. It's based on certainty. The angel, the first thing he tells her is, go and look. Go and look at the tomb. The tomb is empty. We know from other accounts, the grave clothes were laying there and there was no body. He says, go, go and look. The tomb is empty, just like I said. And by the way, you're going to see him. You're going to see him. Go see the place where he lay. And, and that's the invitation to all of us. Go and look. The tomb is empty. You can have certainty. And then I love it in verse 8 and 9 of Matthew 28. It says, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They had peace. They have certainty. But then look what else happens. It says, and behold, Jesus met them. Behold, Jesus met them. And then he says, it's almost comical, he says, greetings. (laughs) Like, hello, hi. I can't imagine what that must have been like. 
Jesus met them and he said, greetings. <laughs> and I love the response. They came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. They had the certainty of knowing not only was the tomb empty, but Jesus came to them and he was real and he was tangible and they took hold of his feet. They had utmost certainty and that certainty that these eyewitnesses had is meant to give us certainty. We don't hang on to a a fallacy. We hang on to the truth, the resurrected Jesus. She didn't have blind faith. It was based on reality. He was alive. They took hold of his feet. They worshiped him. Not only that, he he did appear to her, but he also did go ahead to Galilee, and he appeared to countless others. All the claims of Jesus are true. Take hold of his feet and worship him. Jesus was a real historical figure, the most significant, influential man in the entire history of the world. There's no disputing the historical facts of the fact that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he died, and that he lived again after his death. A while ago, a young reporter named Lee Strobel, he hated the fact that his wife was a Christian and he was not. He was an atheist and he hated that she kept talking about Jesus said, I'm going to prove just how dumb you are. And so he studied Christianity and then he realized that he was wrong when he examined the facts. He became convinced of the certainty of Jesus. He took hold of it and changed his life. If you take hold of the certainty of Jesus, that, that Jesus is not dead... Jesus is alive. He gives peace. He gives certainty. He gives hope. I imagine Mary was overjoyed, not just because her friend was alive, but because she knew now without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus really is the Lord that he says he is. He really does have the power over life and death and the power to set people free from sin and to make them one with God again. That when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it was really true. When he says, no man comes to the Father but by me, it was true that she could come to the Father through him. He meant the promise that Jesus gave in John eleven twenty five. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me. Though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It must have been like electricity for her when she realized everything that Jesus said. It's true. There's life. There's peace. There's certainty. There's hope. I can trust in Jesus. Jesus, they told her, I'm the bread of life in John 6, 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We're like, and Jesus said in John 6, 51, he says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anybody eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And all of a sudden, the truth must have dawned on her. The light bulbs must have gone on. She'd go, oh my goodness. That's what he meant. His resurrection gives us life. And as I trust in and hope in his resurrection, his death for me, it's like eating of his flesh. And he satisfies. He gives certainty. Her greatest desire to be with God was satisfied forever. And that can be true of all of us. You know, sometimes we can doubt, if we're honest, that we can doubt that what Jesus said was true. You don't have to raise your hand, but, but how about you? You ever, you ever struggle with doubt? You ever struggle wondering, are the promises of Jesus really true? I don't feel like it sometimes. 
If you are honest with yourself, you're going to respond, yeah, sometimes I don't feel like it all could be true. How in the world could it be true? But you need to hear these words that Mary heard as well when Jesus greeted her. Jesus says, I'm alive. Hello. I'm alive. That proves that everything I said was true. Don't doubt. Don't have fear. Have peace. Have certainty. He wants you to have certainty in all of his promises. His resurrection is irrefutable truth. His resurrection is irrefutable proof as well. It's irrefutable proof that what he said, he had the authority to say that what he said was actually true. Everything he predicted about himself came true. And so everything that he said when he says, hey, your sins have been forgiven you. It was really true. All who ate the bread of Jesus will never go hungry and can live forever. Do you Believe the promises of God. Are you uncertain? The resurrection gives us certainty that everything that Jesus said is true. We have no reason to doubt, to be in fear, to walk in darkness any longer. Remind yourself that Jesus is alive because he is. The resurrection is proof that he paid for all of our sins. It's like the receipt that says, here, are paid in full. We can be certain that Jesus will deliver us just like he powerfully delivered Mary Magdalene from seven demons and just like he came to her that day. He'll deliver us from evil and set us free from fear and anxiety. Take hold of his feet. We can be sure when we come to Jesus, when you're weary, his promise says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. You can be sure as you go to Jesus and trust in him, as you are weary, you can say, Jesus, I want to give you my burdens. Would you give me your rest? We can be certain when he said he'll never leave us and forsake us that it was true. We can be sure that God is for us and we can be sure of knowing that he has risen just as he said. It's your guarantee Whenever you're wondering, is that really true? Did he really purchase my life? Pull out the receipt of his resurrection. Say, yep, it's right here. I can see it is true. But not only did Jesus give her peace, the resurrection of Jesus gave her peace, and the resurrection of Jesus gave her certainty, the resurrection of Jesus also gave her a purpose. That's what it's meant to do for us as well. We're we're meant to have not only peace in the resurrection, we're meant to have certainty that Jesus is resurrected, that all his promises are true, but we're also meant to have a purpose. He didn't just say, now go and live your life like like you did before. The resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything and it gives us a purpose, something to live for, a cause greater than ourselves. Not only did the angels say, go and tell the disciples, Jesus says... Go and tell my brothers. You know, a lot of people are looking for something that will make their lives important. And you can look for importance in, in all kinds of areas, all kinds of places. You can look for importance in how good of a house you keep. You can look for importance in how good your grades are. You can look for importance in, in how great your job is. You can look for importance in how many people accept you and, and what people think of you. You can look for importance in all kinds of places. But none of those things, none of those areas will give you purpose. Jesus gives purpose, he gives meaning, and he gives a mission to you as well. A mission that that underlies and undergirds and goes through all other things that we do. It doesn't mean that we're all called to go and be evangelists in the sense that we're all called to leave our jobs, but in our jobs, go and tell. 
You have purpose in your job to reflect the goodness of Jesus, to reflect the good news in your job at school. You, you have the purpose to reflect Jesus in everything that you do. Think about how surprising this is, too, that he comes to women first. I love it. I love it because it represents something. It represents that Jesus comes to those who are marginalized in society. See, in that time, in that society, women, far more than you can imagine now, were marginalized. Their voice didn't count. Their testimony didn't even hold up in court. It didn't stand up. Nobody thought much of women. They were seen as kind of second-class citizens. They were not thought much of. And then I love that it comes to Mary Magdalene is in this story. I love that she's the first one to arrive. Why? Because she has this air of impurity about her, right? She's got a past. She's got a, a nasty past of some sort. We're not exactly sure. We know she had demons, though. I don't want to hang around that. You know, if you see somebody walking down the street muttering to themselves, you might wonder, oh my goodness, like what in the world, go on the other side of the street. People probably felt that way towards Mary before Jesus had changed her. She was marginalized. She would have been shunned by society at least at one point. The fact that he appeared to an outcast, oh, that's meant to communicate something. It's meant to give us hope. Jesus defied all social norms. He went to the people ignored and marginalized. Maybe you're feeling ignored, marginalized. I've got a past. Maybe you're feeling like you've got a past that can't be overcome, that Jesus would never come to you. Jesus comes to people with a past and he redeems and he sets free and he gives us a purpose. He gives the purpose to the person with a past first and says to go and tell the disciples after that. Because of the mercy and deliverance of Jesus, she had been made worthy. Because Jesus comes to us, he makes us worthy. Because he redeems us, he makes us worthy. And he chose to comfort her and he comforts us with his presence. And he says, don't be afraid. And he gives them a mission. He, he, he says, go and tell the disciples. But he doesn't just say, go and tell the disciples. She's got this commission. And by the way, that's the same commission that Jesus repeats later on at the end of Matthew. And he says, to all of the disciples, to all of us, to all of you, you have a purpose and a mission in life. And it's to go and tell everybody to go and demonstrate the good news through whatever your job is, through whatever your role is, whatever you're doing. You're to demonstrate, to tell the good news. You have a purpose to show the image, the glory of God. But he doesn't just say, go tell my disciples. Look what Jesus said. The angel said, go and tell the disciples. And Jesus says, go tell my brothers. Now, that should, that should strike you. Because think about it. This is the first time Jesus had spoken about the disciples again. And the last thing we see of the disciples is they all ran away from him. The last place that Jesus saw them was in the garden. They all ran away. And then he saw Peter, his best friend, hanging out in the courtyard and he looks up just to see Peter denying him. And yet Jesus doesn't reject those who wavered in their belief. He didn't reject those who ran away. He says, go tell them the good news. I want to reconstitute my people. I want to reconstitute my family. I want to bring them back. I want to restore them as family. I've not forgotten them. You know, you, you, you might be tempted to dismiss people like that who abandon you, who leave you, who desert you, who deny you, and you see that. And yet Jesus says, go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers, and there they'll see me. 
and he promised they'll see me. He appeared to them and he spoke peace to them. Later, we know that he found Peter at the Sea of Galilee and he spoke peace to Peter. He restored. And isn't that a wonderful picture? Go tell my brothers. There's a a picture of restoration here. The restorative mission of Christ really has become our mission. We get to go and be a part of restoring people back to God. We can be restored back to God. No matter where you are, no matter how far gone you are, you might have in the past denied, walked away. You can come back. Jesus says... Be restored to me. Repent, believe. Hear the words of peace. The disciples and Mary believed in Jesus. They knew who he was. They trusted in him. Even though their belief had been weak, God saved them. He reverses fortunes. He restores. None of us are far too, too far gone. None of us are too far gone. He's not forgotten you. You can be called his brothers and sisters too. I want you to, just as we close, imagine the change in your life. Listen, imagine the change in your life if you really knew the peace, certainty, and purpose that the resurrection brings. Don't you want to know that kind of peace and certainty? Don't you want to know the purpose of the resurrection? You can. Pull the receipt out. Take a look. It's all true. Imagine how it would impact your workplace, your school, your neighborhood if you had this peace, this joy, this certainty, this purpose. Imagine the change in the lives of those you knew if, if they knew peace. Maybe you are not getting along with somebody and, and that peacemaker seminar that Aaron mentioned earlier, that's for you and come out on Saturday, we'd love to have you. But you can know a peace that actually enables you to have peace with other people. And imagine those people that you're in conflict with that you don't like. Or imagine the grouchy neighbor or the grouchy coworker, or grouchy boss or, or grouchy whatever you're thinking of. The person that you think, man, they are messed up. Imagine if they knew resurrection peace. Imagine that change. Don't you want that for them? Now, there's some portion of all of us that wants bad for people we don't like. But, you know, we were just like them. And yet Jesus came and spoke peace to us. And can you imagine if people in, around us, in our lives, if they knew the peace and certainty and purpose of the resurrection? What a difference that would make. Don't you want that? Church, don't you want that? You can say yes out loud. It's okay. Amen. Holding on to it. We can have that peace. Hold on to the feet of Jesus. Be sure that we can have that certainty. We can have the peace that he brings. We can have the purpose he brings. His resurrection changes everything. Despite the darkness, we have peace. We have certainty. And we have purpose. Amen? That's good news. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to come up. And I'd like to sing the third song that we sang this morning. I can't remember the name of that, Joe, but I'm I'm sure you know that. I like to sing the song, and as we sing, I want that to be a confession for us of the truth. Now, maybe you're not used to coming to church and singing afterwards, but I want this to be a time where in your heart you can respond to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you that everything you said is true.
That your resurrection proves that. That I have life, I have certainty, I have peace. I have hope in you. And and if you're not a Christian, I'd encourage you in this song, and there's nothing magical, there's no magic prayer you can pray, but I'd encourage you to say, God, I I need you to forgive me for all my sins. And I'm going to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to trust that what you said is true. And Jesus, would you give me peace? Would you give me certainty? Would you give me your purpose? And then go and tell somebody the good news. Well, let's stand together, if we can, and sing.